Hey gang, Sean Zock here, joined by Dylan DeChair. This is the Drop Zone, jam-packed show today. We talk with Abe Anser, International President's Cup team member. Uh, we have a little breaking news here uh, in the golf course architecture world. Tad King joins us for that. Uh, before then, we are going to hand out year-end awards for the PGA Tour. And in honor of the NFL returning, we are going to compare NFL quarterbacks to their corresponding golfers on the PGA Tour. Big week on the drop zone, Sean. But first, have we had a golfy week? Well, I think that you're coming off a bit of a golfy weekend Yeah. in your home state of Wisconsin. Tell me... This is good to kind of check in on like the state of Sean Zock's golf game. Yeah, at all times. So I played a couple rounds at Grand Geneva Golf Resort. Uh, it's Grand Geneva Resort. Two rounds there, two different courses, uh, two very solid courses and very different. It's a fancy place, fancy resort. It's not too fancy, you know, and it's not too expensive for that, right? Like it, it's not the most luxurious place, but it's very, it's a very good golf place and they take care of you. They took care of us um, on Friday Played a little golf on Saturday as well. You know, um, the game is trending low. Is driver like in play right now? Because I know you've had some moments of just irons, just hybrids off the tee. Yeah. Right now we're hitting a lot of three woods off the tee, mm-hmm. but we're probably hitting like four drivers per round off the tee. So is if we the, get that, clo- uh, we can get that number closer to like seven. I'll be happy. Is the big right miss lurking? It, it just it's what happens when Sean tries swinging too hard. But we got a great tip from Paula Kramer today. She says she tries to swing within a barrel, as if there's this barrel that she's standing in, and she tries to turn her body within that barrel, and then she, so she doesn't get too quick at the top. She has a long swing and then goes down within that barrel, and any time that she gets out of that barrel is when the big miss happens. So very, very comparable for Sean Zock. The slower she swings, the farther it goes, she yeah, said. There's a lot of truth to that. That sounds pretty good. So that's the golfy week. Now let's move on to year end awards. We're taking a bit of a cue from the Oscars. I thought it'd be good to hand out some awards and I'm going to give out the first award. This is for best original screenplay. Okay. And it's going to Tiger Woods <laughs> winning the masters. If it was written in a screenplay, you might not believe it. The guy came back from the dead, wasn't going to play golf again. I mean, I know we've talked about this a hundred times, but I don't think we've talked about it enough because of just how crazy it was that Tiger Woods, this year at age 43, won the Masters. Tiger deserves to win this award. I will say, the only thing I can say about the Masters is that for it to win best original screenplay is that it was a slightly anticlimactic. What? No, listen, hear me out. The most compelling things at the Masters, and this tends to be the case, but the most compelling things that happened were on the 12th hole and the 16th hole. Like mm. he, he tended to, I know everyone was on edge, but like he had to make bogey to, to win it, and yes. he did. So I'm not taking anything away from Tiger. Don't get that misconstrued. I'm just saying for it to win best original screenplay, very deserving, could have been a little more climactic. Perhaps Jeez. it was perfectly climactic because if he misses that three-footer, He's going to a playoff. It sounds to me like you're teasing one of our later categories with that take, to be honest, Sean. But uh, you're presenting the next award. What do you got for me? Yes. The award is called Best Documentary Short. (laughs) Oh, hell yeah. And this goes to Sergio Garcia at the WGC match play. It happened a long time ago, and it's you know pretty distant memory at this point. But to, to stir up that memory, Sergio Garcia is playing against Matt Kuchar. He's in the quarterfinals. They're both not playing all that well, but Sergio 
on the ninth hole, he quick raked a one foot putt mm. that was, you know, anyone in the world would give it to him, but Matt Kuchar had not yet given it to him and he missed that one foot putt. So Kuchar did not concede it in time, which meant that Kuchar won the hole. Sergio then went to ask Kuchar to concede another hole to even things up. Kuchar refused. There were words exchanged in the 10th fairway. Sergio made a heroic comeback, but eventually lost. And so this thing wins best documentary short because it was pretty constrained. It all happened essentially on the back nine of a quarterfinals match. There was the beginning conflict. There was like an attempt to make it good. There mm-hmm. was there was suspense in the fact that Sergio was trying to come back and ultimately have great karma go his way. And eventually it ended with this like absurd uh, conclusion in which they are playing golf together the next day in a golf cart and they post a video that is just like, it's all good. We're friends. We're still buddies. The weirdest video of the year. That's not an exact technical Oscar award for no. weirdest video, but that would be up there. Yeah, totally. But I do have a question for you. Are you giving this award just to Sergio? He's accepting it himself? He's, or yes. is he inviting you know, Matt Kuchar up to accept with him? He can thank Matt Kuchar, but oh. he is getting this award himself. All right. Well, along those lines, my best supporting actor award is going to Matt Kuchar because <laughs> this dude was everywhere this year. I mean, look, it started at the beginning of the season. We know what he was up to in Mayakoba now. That story has been extensively covered. But this guy was in a ton of mini controversies yeah. all year long. You'd think Matt Kuchar this year is the Skechers guy. He was the you know oblivious golf dad. And then he was like at the center of this backstopping controversy early in the year. He was in the middle of this Sergio Garcia thing. He was caught trying to get weird rulings at the memorial. I mean, this guy just was, he was like the Forrest Gump of the PGA Tour. It was like wherever there was an issue happening, Matt Kuchar found himself at the center. (laughs) And he also played some of the best golf of his entire life this year. So. Kudos to Matt Kuchar, I guess, for for staying in the news, staying at the forefront of our minds. But so much happened to him that I think we've forgotten half of it already. Yeah. And I mean, you're going to call him best supporting actor. You could say that he doesn't necessarily deserve the award. He wasn't very supportive. Mm. He wasn't, wasn't really supportive of his caddy. Tell you what he supported was content. Yeah, that's for sure. Take of the year is the next award going out. And while some of you might hate this, I actually imagine a lot of you will hate this. <laughs> I am handing out take the take of the year award to myself. Wow. Now, <laughs> what was the take in question? The take surrounds the 16th hole pin location on Sunday at the Masters. As many of you know, the 16th hole Sunday location is just over the bunker at the bottom of a hill. You basically just have to hit a nine iron hit it into the center of the green with a little bit of a draw perhaps, and it spins right back to the Mm -hmm. hole. And it led to two hole outs on Sunday this year. It leads to just as many birdies or better than any other round in the Masters. It plays to an average score this year of 2.72, which makes it one of of the easiest par three days that anyone will see on tour all year long. That is more than uh, a third of a stroke easier than the, the hole has played historically. Wow. My issue is not that the pin location is bad. It's that it should just not happen on Sunday. My take mm. is that Saturday's pin should be the Sunday pin. Sunday's pin should be the Saturday pin. Saturday is moving day. Saturday is when you want craziness to happen. Sunday, you want it to be difficult. 
the 13th hole and the 15th hole are already pretty easy at the Masters when it comes to making birdies and going low. Why does the 16th need to be easy as well? The Saturday pin location is a little bit back and to the right. You will see people really struggle to get close. The birdies on that hole are made from like 20 to 30 feet away. That would be a great spot for Sunday because it just really, really dares people. If you want to make a birdie on this hole, you have to hit a phenomenal shot. Nowadays, you can hit a pretty average shot. That's so I just want it on year. record that what you were saying is you no longer want these final round shots of balls rolling down towards the cup. You think it's ancient history that Tiger Woods is chipping in. On Sunday. Nike ball toppling over the edge into the cup. He can do that with his putter. He can do that with a perhaps an eight iron that is going up the hill, maybe mm-hmm. with a lower trajectory. Mm-hmm. I want to test these players on Sunday. I don't want them to be given handed birdies because they hit an, a nine iron to the center of the green. We're going to have to hand this over to the listeners to decide. Definitely let Sean Zock know if you think that this is truly the best take of the year. I will say I brought this out in April and during Sunday at the Masters. What do you think the feedback was percentage-wise, positive, it was, negative? It was about two-thirds negative, one-third I agree with you. We All need right. to do something about this. When you're talking about changing Augusta National, that's probably actually a pretty high percentage. Yeah. I'm going to go with the award for best editing. And I'm going with Brooks Kepka. BK. You might not think of him as a big time Photoshop guy. I don't really, I, I don't picture Brooks logging on much. I don't picture him having a computer at his house. But somehow Brooks Kepka posted a photo of Brandel Shambly with a clown nose on his face uh, midway through the summer. This was deep into the Brooks-Brandle feud. If you want to get into worst take of the year, there's probably a few contenders there. Um, But there was something really striking and so 2019 about Kepka still finding a final slight, taking it to Brandle Shambly. It really summed up the season in some ways and like the discourse of modern golf in a lot of ways, and I just really appreciated it. Yeah, I mean, this is the work, actually, of one of Kepka's friends who sent it to him, and so he tweeted it out, no further context applied to it, just letting Twitter have at it, and that is what Brooks Kepka has done, but he only does it towards Brando. Like, he, I hope... he really doesn't ether anybody mm-hmm. else. He, yeah. did, he did it once during the playoffs to a random person that tweeted at him. I'm, I'm all about the Brooks haymakers, like his his dad was tweeting at at Shambly earlier this weekend, so what? Brooks chimed in, and it just becomes this like feud that is not going to have a positive result, mm. and it's a bit like bullying. There are aspects of the Twitter world where the mob mentality takes over, and if you have Brooks saying Brandel, oh, you're yeah. an idiot, a lot of people will say Brandel, you're an idiot. It's not exactly fair. There's some weak arguments presented by Bob Kepka. This is kind of <laughs> in a, my this opinion, is the dark side of the clown nose, but you. Bring up some good points. I will say, if this is true about Brooks's friend, he should invite his photoshopping friend up on stage with him to accept this award. Yes, totally. The next award and final award is the award for best visual effects. And this is going to Bryson DeChambeau and uh, surrounding the, the pace of play debate. Now, Bryson DeChambeau mm. came out and well, there was a video leaked of him and shared all around Twitter of Bryson DeChambeau taking two minutes and 40 seconds over a putt that was like 10 feet long. And Mm. so... Did he make it? 
no, he missed it. Mm, and so yeah. all of all of the hullabaloo about that was basically it, it, it was kerosene to the fire of the pace of play debate in which Bryson was a new punching bag. And Bryson responded in the most ridiculous form. But the thing that's important here is that visual effects, that award is given out for creating something that's somewhat false, the illusion of truth mm-hmm. through through something that's visual. So Bryson comes back and he, he proceeds to point out that I'm not about to let my reputation be known as a slow player. I just don't appreciate that. He goes out and plays like under time par a couple rounds. He continues to play very slow on the greens, but says, hey, I'm the fastest from the tee to the golf ball in the fairway, which is just a great illusion in its own right. And we have people writing about him. He's going on Snapchat, just kind of saying, it's not my fault. Screw the haters. I still love you, even if you hate me. Just all this, all these different diversions from the truth, which is that, dude, you took almost three minutes to hit a, hit a 10-foot putt. Just own up to the fact that you're slow on the greens. Because he is fast elsewhere. He's fast off the tee. He's fast in the fairway. Fast walker. Fast walker. Famously. But he's, 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 he's too slow on the greens. And he will hopefully in the future get penalized for taking that much time. He just did a great job of diverting us from the truth of the matter, which is him being slow on the greens. Well, I appreciate you bringing an important phrase to the forefront here because until the year 2019, I don't think any of us talked about being under time par, but uh, now that's something we think about regularly. So I think that when we play tomorrow, I think we will strive to play under time par. We totally will. Uh, that's good enough for the year-end awards. Now we go to the breaking news segment of oh. the Drop Zone. Dylan has some breaking news. What's the scoop? By now, most of our listeners or any golfer who's been on social media you know, in the last couple of years has probably heard about Sweeten's Cove, right? It's this nine-hole course in Tennessee designed by Rob Collins and Tad King. It's a revolutionary design. It's wild, fun. It's become this holy site. It's like a mecca for the woke golf architecture fan you know it stands for everything that's that's fun in the game today Uh, but it was also the only course built by king collins design i've gotten a chance to check out their second course king collins design has taken up residence in uh, upstate new york about an hour and a half north and west of the george washington bridge and uh, I've got a piece out on it on golf.com today. But uh, Tad King, the managing director of construction for King Collins, came on to tell us about this new nine-hole gem. So here's Tad. All right, joining me on the line is Tad King, half of the beloved design-build firm King Collins Golf, uh, you guys are best known for your work on Sweeten's Cove, which is a magnificent nine-hole course in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. And now you're joining us here to break some big-time news that there's a new King Collins course on the way. So, Tad, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me, Dylan. Appreciate it. So, before we get to the new course, I just want you to tell us your side of the the King Collins origin story. I'm sure you've told it before, but how did you guys first get connected? Well, we got we met in Naples, Florida in 2005, and Rob was working with uh, the Gary Player firm, and he was the site guy on a project 
that we both work were working on, and our client was uh, Bonita Bay, and there was a turnkey contractor that was under construction or under contract to build the golf course, and I was working for that turnkey contractor, and we just kept noticing just conflict after conflict between the client, the design firm, and the contractor. The client or the design firm would build the design it in the office. And then they would implement it in the field, the contractor would, but then the designer would say, hey, let's tweak this. And immediately the hand goes up. It's like, hey, change order, change order. And so now the client's <laughs> confused and everything, and it's like you're really not getting the best golf course that you can because of the model that you set up. And so Rob and I just saw the dysfunction that was going on, and we decided, hey, why, why not with, you know, with, with our combined experience, we can – design what we build ourselves and uh sure enough his uh his family was down he had a wife and a daughter at the time and my wife and daughter were down at the time and we went to a carabas on tamiami trail at some time in 2000 the spring of 2005 and came up on the spot with king collins golf we said we're going to design them and build them ourselves and uh that's how it all got started i think i might have been to that carabas on the tamiami trail we should go back and uh we were down in naples two years ago and uh we actually have a photo from the exact same booth that we were sitting in <laughs> when we came up with this revelation to do a design build firm it's kind of funny that is so cool well and the the rest is history as they say from that point but why do you think people have reacted the way that they have to sweetens cove because it's become such a sensation i mean what sort of chord does it hit with people and did you guys see that coming uh, once we were under construction, we did, yeah. You know, we knew this was our first and likely only shot if we didn't hit a home run. And so we just didn't hold back. You know, we like bold, strong contours and like fun things, like to make you think. And we just poured everything we had into it. And um, fortunately, it turned out to be very successful. Also, one other thing that's quite important is our client just gave us free reign. There were we didn't get handcuffed at all by the client. And so if we thought of it and we thought it would be cool and interesting, we could do it. There was nobody holding us back. And that was a, a large part of the success of the stuff. All right. So without any further ado, tell us about the new place, the new golf course that you guys are building. It's in Ackerd, New York, which is a, about an hour and a half, maybe an hour, 40 minutes from where I'm sitting right now in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, so what can you tell us about this new golf course? It is in Ulster County, as you said, Accord, New York. And it was a former privately owned daily fee mom and pop golf course. And it was bought in uh, the fall of 2017. And we started construction to, so it's just a total blow up. It's very, very similar to Sweetens Cove, with the exception that when they built this course in the early 70s, they dug a lot of lakes and they used because it was a wetland. It was a wooded wetland and they dug the lakes and they plopped the fill up into the fairways with no real rhyme or reason. There was no drainage or anything at all sheet flowed and stuff. So we were married to the corridors on several of the holes because of uh, federal delineated wetlands. So we had to respect those. In between the, the lakes, we modified all the fill. We've added 110 catch basins because this is a heavy clay soil and you can't carry water very far on it. So 
so it's extensively drained now and it's it's working if we get a rain it dries up quickly it's got a lot of characteristics in fact there was a guy out last week that called it the back nine already of sweetens <laughs> cove yeah. which i thought was kind of funny um big big greens in fact we've got one it's a uh, triple green and it's uh 1.05 acres 1.5 uh, 1.05 acres for one single green well it's three greens combined holds <laughs> two nine and the putting green you know really they're about fifteen thousand each yeah so that's I, almost the average size we've got one hundred twenty-five thousand square feet of greens for 10 greens i paid a uh visit to the site a few weeks ago i got a chance to drive around with you and walk around with you a little bit and i was immediately struck just by getting onto property at how much it feels like sweetens cove you know it is this former floodplain area kind of sunken with in a valley with mountains coming up you know in this rural setting in the background and a couple lone trees uh popping up across the property so there really is this similar feel and it doesn't seem like you guys have shied away from that no no we, we've embraced it i mean it's a we love building the style of golf and uh it's funny that you know we were fortunate enough to inherit a piece of land that is similar to sweetens so yeah if it was if your long views in the distance didn't have the mountains and the catskills and whatnot and you jazz up the center in the floodplain and make it really bold it's just it doesn't fit in mm-hmm. so with the with the strong contours and landforms that we're creating it and you look out in the horizon and you see the catskills and various other mountains and what we've done to the golf course and the shaping and everything fits right in. If you pick this up and put it like in the middle of Kansas or something, it, I don't, you wouldn't have the same feel. That's, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And what did the client tell you guys? Because this is your first, you know, full on golf course project since Sweetens. What was the directive from the client? What did they want you guys to build? Pretty much, they said, "Give us another suite." So that was that's really the only directive we've got. That it, it's, we've gotten very fortunate again to where the client—it's a great, fantastic client—but they're not very hands-on, and we haven't been restricted or handcuffed by them in the least. We can—we've just, you know, done what we want, and they're okay with it. So they trust us. And so we're having a lot of fun, and I feel like we're hitting another really big home run. Yeah, and then just walk me through a few of the features uh, that get you most excited because I know when we were out there together, you know, you're running around. Get, th- this stuff is really fun for you. It's, it's exciting, and I think that that's why people react the way they do because of, you know, your excitement, because of the details that get put into, you know, every one of these features. Outside of the green, the putting surfaces, which are always fun to put together, a unique thing we did here is trench bunkering at like the width of a bulldozer and uh you you know you get it wider and narrower and ups and downs and they serpentine frequently around the back of a green complex or the right of a green complex and the reason for it was to mitigate all the water there's water on six or seven of of the nine holes Mm -hmm. and previously it was you know a local joke that you know bring a dozen golf balls because you're going to need them so Mm. what we did was went in the great lengths to keep the water out of play and so one of the things that is works well is if you have uh you know on the right at the landing area of a fairway that slopes down to a lake it's a good opportunity to put a trench bunker there which 
you get a lot of wow factor out of it if you jazz it up right. But it is, it's also not a hazard. It's really it helps the golfer because it keeps them from trip, trickling into the lake. So we sort of embraced that theme and have put in many, many trench bunkers throughout. And it, it does have a theme of trench bunkers. There are a few formal bunkers, pot bunkers, and there's one on number two. And what we've decided just for the sake of variety is the trench bunkering will have fescue faces, but the formal bunkers in the fairways, we're going to just have the fairway grass go right up to them. And you've mentioned this wow factor a few times when I've talked to you about this uh, this course, and Rob has mentioned it too. Was that part of the directive? That was our sell. <laughs> we told them, we're going to give you the wow factor. And they, they they were excited to hear that. In fact, we brought up a few photos from Sweetens Cove, and we're like, well, do you like what you see? And they said, yeah. And I said, well, that's what you're going to get. And so, yeah, there's no shortage of wow factor here. It's the long views across the property and the, the bunkering and the really bold greens. It's going to be a fun one. I can't wait to start grassing. Yeah, so take me through the schedule a little bit because uh, when I was there, Obviously, most of what we were looking at was dirt, but there was a lot of shaping going on. What kind of timeline are you guys looking at? We are set to start hydro seeding uh, September 15th. And we have a new project starting in in Nebraska. So we're going to be in uh, Nebraska from the 3rd to the 6th. And when we get back on the 7th, many of the greens will have the greens looped active, the pump stations in and operational. So we can begin the finish work on the green complexes and go ahead and get the bent grass down there. And then on the 15th of September, we'll start. We have to start on the north end of the property because of access purposes. So we'll just paint our way out. And there's four greens on the north end. I'd like to seed all of them at the same time so that they're the same grow-in program. That will be, you know, before the second week of September, unless we have a, you know, weather permitting. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the 15th, we begin hydro seeding. We can get two and a half acres done a day. And we like to be grassed out by the third, fourth week of October, worst case scenario. From the outside, it seems like your partnership with Rob has been uh, one of the keys to, you know, these projects coming through and working well together. What's what's the dynamic like with you two together? And sort of how, how are you guys similar and different? We're, we're very similar in that we're extremely passionate about what we do and we love what we do and we've made a firm commitment to each other that we're not going to overextend ourselves and lose quality so that that's really important for king collins if we take a project it's going to get a hundred percent of the attention that it deserves and we're, we're both proud of that um our our differences is rob is very scholarly in, in golf course architecture and since our partnership developed, I've become much more knowledgeable of it. It's fascinating, but I really don't want to overdo it because I kind of like to use my own imagination and come up with my own things instead of replicating stuff that other guys have done through the past. And between the combination of both with Rob and me, we seem to, well, we haven't seen, we, we have got a chemistry that really works. It's a great partnership. That's very cool. Well, and it's it's exciting to... Uh, see that partnership continue to get more recognition uh, with this project in New York, obviously the one uh, in Nebraska that's just come onto the horizon. And it sounds like there's a few more in the works that you probably can't even tell us about. But that has to be different going from, you know, having one tryout project to now you're going to be able to be a bit selective, it seems like. 
No, yes, you're you're absolutely right, and it's a it's an honor to be in this privilege, or it's a privilege and an honor to be in this position. It's been a long time coming, but uh, we're not complaining. Well, we will uh, continue to check in on your progress as we get grass on the ground, as we get greens looking more and more like greens. Uh, it's very very exciting. So congratulations on this, Tad, and we uh, we look forward to hearing from you soon. All right. Thank you very much, Dylan. Take care. All right. Major thanks to Tad King for joining us. And uh, everyone should check out you know more details on our website and stay tuned as this thing gets closer and closer to uh, reality. To change gears a little bit, it's the first week of the NFL season, Sean. People have been squeezing in their final fantasy drafts. Uh, and it's also a week, a rare week, where there is no PGA Tour action. So I thought what better week, you know, than fantasy football draft week than to compare quarterbacks in the NFL with PGA Tour players. I'll start off. Tom Brady, Tiger Woods. This is a pretty simple one. Relentless players. They really, really, really want to win. They both want to keep playing and keep winning. They send their bodies, you know, past normal limits to get there. Uh, They tore their ACLs at similar times. But I think the most compelling part of this comparison is actually that each of these guys is much more conservative than they get credit for in terms of their style of play. Politically speaking, (laughs) very conservative. Maybe also true. Uh, Can't speak to that. But on the field of play, they're both so good, so detail oriented, and, and so risk averse that they end up, you know, just executing conservative shots extremely, extremely well. Tom Brady is Tiger Woods. I really didn't jump in there because I can't really say anything differently. I mean, Tom Brady is probably the best quarterback of all time. The GOATs. Uh, and Tiger is definitely the best golfer of all time. Uh, but I'm disappointed in your creativity level there because I just don't think you really strove for much by just pointing out who is we'll the best. We'll get there. Come on. Kirk Cousins, Minnesota Vikings quarterback. His PGA Tour comp is Ricky Fowler. Oh, you're right. This is more fun. You're told that he's really good, that he's worth a ton of money, worth all the acclaim. Mm-hmm. You like that. Uh, you're told that Kirk Cousins is worthy of being a franchise quarterback. You're told that Ricky Fowler is supposed to be one of the greatest players on the planet, one of the best Americans. But the, the, the question is, like, do the results follow? Do these players show up and win big games, big tournaments? I like that. Next for me, Aaron Rodgers is Rory McIlroy. This is a home run. Endless talent. We talk about both their talent all the time. But there's also this element where they're both extremely smart, like self-aware people. They're both old souls. They're both kind of, you know, reclusive, keep to themselves in in leagues where, you know, everyone else is a little bit more buddy-buddy. But they're everyone's favorite pick every year because they have such mega firepower. Yeah, they Uh, they do things in their respective fields you just stop and you're like well that's the best Mm -hmm. that i've ever seen someone do that and they each you know had some big time wins earlier in their career and of late have struggled to kind of totally regain that no offense to rory's fedex cup victory this year but it's just not quite the same thing finally if we were a gossip podcast we would say they both have celebrity relationships that have flamed out publicly (laughs) uh in the public eye but we won't get into that. Go pack, go. Uh, Philip Rivers is Webb Simpson. 
Both players have had wildly, wildly long careers. They are both probably going to be in the Hall of Fame someday. When you really start adding things up, Phillip Rivers, no Super Bowls, but some of the greatest passing statistics of all time. Webb Simpson, only one major, but now he has a Players' Championship. Mm, He sure does. He is going to be on the PGA Tour for probably 15-plus years. Decent chance he wins another major, part of a bunch of Ryder Cup teams. Both these guys, big, big family men. Philip Rivers has literally a big family, and Webb Simpson is known as one of the best family men on the PGA Tour. So Philip Rivers, Webb Simpson, that's the comp. I had Tony Finau in there for similar reasons. Finau, Rivers, both yeah. can't big, win big the big one. Men. Big family More men. children than you would expect. <laughs> uh, my final guy, Andrew Luck, Anthony Kim. Oh. 20-something enigmas. Feels too soon for that. They were fed up with injuries. They had enough cash to walk away and explore their other varied interests. <laughs> That's the thing where they diverge, though. I don't, I'm not sure their interests are the same. I don't see them hanging out a lot necessarily in their future careers. Who would you be more, If you found out that they did hang out, would you be more impressed with Andrew Luck or more impressed with Anthony Kim? I mean, Anthony Kim is one trillion times cooler than Andrew Luck. Not to say Andrew Luck's not cool. He's got his own like nerdy engineer thing going on, architecture thing maybe going on. Okay. But like I picture Anthony Kim still like closing down clubs in LA and Las Vegas. And I don't think Andrew Luck will step in a club the rest of his life mm. if he doesn't have to. Okay. And I don't think now he doesn't have to. He's got a hundred million dollars and a whole life ahead of him. My final comparison, Eli Manning is Lucas Glover. Whoa. <laughs> both both a bit past their prime, so mm-hmm. to say. And if we're talking about their primes, not exactly the highest reaching primes, but Eli Manning won a couple Super Bowls. Lucas Glover, he won the US Open. Lucas Glover's highest career world rank is fifteenth. You know, Eli Manning was probably at, at his best, like the eighth best quarterback in the league. Uh, Glover, he won his major, and everybody remembers that. He did it over Tiger and Phil Mickelson. Eli won his Super Bowl over Tom Brady. I mean, I think it's all lining up there. One thing is for sure that that is the best Eli Manning-Lucas Glover comparison you will hear today. Uh, I think that that's good enough for now. We'll skip over what I had Patrick Reed, Baker Mayfield, Matt Ryan, Justin Rose, Josh Allen, Cameron Champ. That one had some potential. We would love to hear from you guys what you think the best half-baked comparisons are between quarterbacks and PGA Tour players. Do we have a good comp for Abe Answer? Oh. I was thinking like Derek Carr. Abraham the Answer. He's going to be here. But Abe Answer is ascendant, and I'm not so sure that's true about Derek Carr. We don't know that it's not true. You sat down with him if I'm... Not mistaken, Sean. Yeah, yeah. We So Abe and I talked last week. Uh, it was the end of his season. Just kind of talked about you know him reaching the President's Cup, his, his great performance at the Northern Trust, kind of assessing his, his season and how he met his goals. Talked about how important the WGC is to the country of Mexico and golf within Mexico and what it's like to kind of fly that flag and if it, there's pressure inherent to that. Um, it was pretty cool. You can tell that the guy has, he thinks about Mexico a lot and he was born and raised, you know, right around the border of Texas and Mexico. Um, 
very far south and central Texas. And you can just tell that the, the guy has been around. He's moved around a good bit. He went from high school to junior college to Oklahoma to the PGA, to the web.com tour, to the PGA tour. And it's been this linear path, but it's worked out for him against all odds, really. So we got about 20 minutes here of Abe Answer talking about all of that. Enjoy. Joining now is Abraham Answer. He just made a, a nice paycheck at the Tour Championship, qualified for the President's Cup. Abe, how are you enjoying the off season so far? Man, well, first of all, thanks for having me on your podcast. But it's been, uh, it was a really solid year. Um, I had a lot of fun. Nothing too crazy, just just solid golf. And happy that I, that I brought some good golf in the playoffs. But yeah, I had a four weeks off that I have to kind of relax. I'll be spending some time in San Antonio, spending some time with the family, and going to Mexico as well. So it's going to be nice. So you'll be going back, is it back to Reynosa? Is that where your family is? Yeah, Reynosa and McAllen. I have family on both sides of the, of the border. Nice. All right. So you tied for 21st at the Tour Championship, little birdie-birdie finish. You made some extra money on those last two holes. But was it kind of weird starting uh, your tournament at four under and six shots back? Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit different. Obviously, it was the first time that I've experienced that. But I thought it was it was a perfect golf course for that kind of setup. Uh, it was really tough. So really, there's a lot of, of moving in that leaderboard. If you shoot just a solid two, three under every day, I mean, you you absolutely killed it. It was it was playing really tough. Didn't play my best that week. I I don't know if I was just fried mentally or what was going on, but I struggled out there. But I definitely grinded every single shot to to finish the highest I could. You kicked off the playoffs though with a second at the Northern Trust. Pushed you up to number 37 in the world ranking. And what I'm curious about is, like, according to the ranking, it values PGA Tour tournaments very highly. According to that, it was the biggest result of your career, bigger than the Web.com win, bigger than the Aussie Open win. And I kind of want to know if you feel similarly. Was was a second-place finish in the playoffs the biggest result of your career, or where does it rank? Well, it was probably the strongest field that I've ever played in a 125-man field. You got the best 125 guys on the PGA tours. It's going to be pretty hard to beat that field. Uh, obviously, you wanted to get the W, but at the time when I was on the 18 green, and I had that, I don't know what it was, like a seven or eight footer for par. I knew it was for, for solo second. I didn't know it was going to mean that much, uh, like meaning to get to the tour championship and moving all the, all the way to 37 on the, on the world ranking. I had no idea that was worth that much. But yeah, I mean, I was—it was definitely uh, a big, big—not a win, but like it, it felt like a win after I finished. And they told me all the news about what I got with that second finish for sure. But yeah, it was definitely—it uh, was pretty up there. I think the the win in Australia was obviously sweet with a tournament with that much history and all the names that have won that tournament in the past. But definitely, this second place got me a lot more uh, at the time than the Australian Open. Sure. So you're 28 years old. You went from high school to junior college to Oklahoma to the Web Tour to the PGA Tour. It's it's a very linear path. It's like one step after the next. And I think for a lot of junior college golfers out there, they probably want to make the exact same jump. Yeah. But that's a that's a slim chance. You know, you are definitely rare. I'm curious, 
why did it work for you when when junior college golfers look at Abe Answer? Why did it work for Abe Answer? Why was he able to make the leap? Well, that man, that's a good question. I think I just I feel like I worked hard. I feel like I my vision of of getting to the next level was always very clear. I didn't have an option. It's not like I had I didn't have a, a backup plan at the time. It's like what am I going to do if I if golf doesn't work out? So I wanted to give it my all for it to um, to work out. And I've always been the guy that I've never been like the superstar at any level that I've been. I mean, growing up in Mexico and playing in the in the junior little uh, tours that I played from when I was six years old till I was 15, 16 years old. I was always in the uh, you know in the top five or whatever, but I was never like winning every single week i was just able to to play some solid golf and get to the next level and same thing in in high school i i played good enough to get to the next level got to junior college and that that's the year that kind of changed like how i kind of picture things i played some really good golf at odessa i won a bunch of times and that kind of opened my eyes like hey this is definitely something that i can do for a living i I got some some options to go to D1 schools. Oklahoma was the first one to kind of look at me. And once I I met the coaches, I went and visited. It was a absolute no brainer for me to go there. Loved my time there, both at Odessa and at Oklahoma. And I think I just just the vision that I had of like there's no no other plan. Although I wanted I wanted to finish school and and have that as a backup plan, but but make it, making it to the PGA Tour and was definitely my my biggest goal and my something that I was going to pursue fiercely. And now you're on the Presidents Cup team. Like look at you, man. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> the uh congrats on that first, but you are the the first player to represent Mexico at the Presidents Cup. I imagine that's pretty special for you and your family. Yeah, it's uh it's it's super exciting. I mean, uh, this is Ever since uh, winning in Australia, that's kind of where all the points started to uh, to start counting towards the team, and that was definitely one of my biggest goals uh, for the season was to make it to the Tour Championship and to make the Presidents Cup team. I knew if I if I accomplished those two goals, then it was going to be a really solid year, and man, I couldn't be any happier to be to be part of that team and to accomplish those goals. It's big, obviously, for me, but also. For Mexico and Mexican golf, it's a big step. Hopefully, that kind of gets some some kids excited and gets to see a little bit more about about golf and and gets them to uh, to start playing the game. Looking at the the teammates you'll have on that team, whose game do you think might match up well with, or who who would you like to be your teammate for your matches? Man, that's a good question. I mean, obviously they're all studs. They're all really really good golfers. I think. I mean, Leishman is such a solid golfer, well, super well-rounded. I don't think he has a weakness. Adam Scott absolutely flushes the golf ball every single time. <laughs> Hideki, same thing. I mean, they're all I mean, amazing, amazing golfers. And I don't really have one guy that I just want to play with. I think my game is pretty steady in kind of all, uh, I guess, all aspects. I don't think it matches perfectly with, with one specifically, but... I'm just excited for the whole for the whole thing. Like I said, I will I will love to play with with anybody on the team. I think it will be extremely exciting, and it's going to be a, a week that I'm not going to forget. Yeah, you mentioned your game being steady. You drove the ball so damn well this year. I don't know if you get really into the stats, but strokes gained wise, you're a top ten driver of the ball this year. Did you realize that while it was happening? Yeah, I mean that's what that's kind of how I always been. I don't really put myself in too much trouble out of the tee. I mean, being five six and one forty five, it's like 
if you're not in the fairway, then you're going to be struggling because the rough out there is pretty mean most of the weeks. And yeah, you definitely want to be out of the fairway. But yeah, I mean, to be top 10 struggling off the tee, I think you still have to have some distance. And in the past two years, I've been working with my trainer pretty good to get the most out of my, my body so I can get some distance out of it. And it's been paying off, man. I feel yeah. like I've, I've gained a lot of, a lot of distance from, from two years ago. It's been good, so maybe I guess somebody on the team that doesn't drive it as straight yeah. could uh, could benefit from being my partner. But like I said, I, I haven't looked at any other guys' stats. I think Ernie's going to be looking closely at that. So you said 5'6", 145. The PGA Tour lists you at 5'7", 155. So either somebody's lying <laughs> They're or... trying to help me out, I guess. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, I, think, uh, I think you're doing pretty well off the tee regardless of how tall you are. You mentioned earlier your impact in Mexico, the impact of you being on the President's Cup team. I want to know if when you do something like that, you kind of make a statement and and sometimes at least America tends to treat golfers as like once we know one thing about them, that's their thing. So you are flying the flag for Mexico. And I wonder if you feel pressure in that or if you feel high expectations that you have to live up to kind of as as the leader right now in when it comes to Mexican golf? I don't think I feel pressure. I think I just want to do a, just a good job with, because I know I'll be, a, I guess, a role model for, for kids in Mexico, and they're obviously watching. Uh, I just want to do a good job with that and, and kind of get Mexicans excited about golf. I know Lorena did a phenomenal job with that. She absolutely killed it in her career. And she's the one that really kind of showed us that it was definitely possible for a Mexican golfer to, to compete at the highest level and then win a bunch of tournaments against the best in the world. And like I said, I don't, I don't really feel pressure. I just, for me, I just want to, I just want to do a good job with that. What would you say is your perception of golf in Mexico? Like what is the, the outlook? So often people like myself or our brand, we focus on, you know, golf across the world and maybe just golf in America, we don't often like dive into what golf means in England or in France or in Mexico. So what do you think golf means in Mexico? Yeah, well, definitely it's not, not the most popular sport in Mexico. And one of these points, it's, we don't really have any public golf courses, which makes it really hard for just a random kid to go just hit balls, you know, because they're all private. I'm saying my private, so that's, that's the biggest hurdle that we have to... Uh, that we have to kind of overtake and there's been a lot of initiatives i mean like the the first tee just started a year ago and they started with one chapter i think now there's like five of them um so that's huge for mexican golf the mayakoba event in cancun or playa del carmen it's huge as well wgc it's absolutely big 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 for spreading the the word of golf and like i said it's, it's a slow process but we're four four guys that we played on the PGA Tour for Mexico this year. That's the first time that has ever happened, mm. and I hope that that kind of keeps growing. I feel like we have some really really good players that that are at other levels that that could definitely be on the PGA Tour with no problem. Just gotta gotta play good at the right time. But I think we're doing a pretty good job in this last five years or four or five years to kind of overtake those hurdles and and make. Uh, golf exciting and, and popular in mexico definitely you got some momentum being built uh you mentioned the wgc and this year had to be special for yourself because 
not only are you in front of the home crowd, but you are playing the first two rounds with Tiger Woods. What was the, the lasting memory of, of playing with your idol in front of all your friends and family? Yeah, that was a very, very special uh, special two days for me. I mean, WGC Mexico is always a very special week for me, but this year playing with Tiger in front of my people and just the amount of eyes that we had on us all, all those two days was just really exciting. I've been really nervous before in some events, but that first tee shot, I was <laughs> extremely nervous. <laughs> but uh, ended up, uh, I ended up hitting a good shot, and after that, I felt uh, I felt fine. But uh, it was awesome. Uh, he was great to play with. Had a good time. Um, he beat you. He did. Yeah, he did. But you got the played best of him a couple weeks ago. You got the best of him at the BMW. Yeah, he did beat me in Mexico. Uh, I got to witness that shot he hit on Friday out of that bunker, uh, like a slice nine iron from like 150 yards. That was absolutely ridiculous. Um, so that was, that was pretty cool. And yeah, he did beat me that week. Uh, we played together at the BMW on Sunday. Uh, I beat him there, which I, that felt kind of nice to kind of get him back a little bit. But like I said, it was just some two days that I'll probably will never forget just being, being in Mexico and playing with Tiger. That slice cut, bunker shot was that the best shot you saw this year i've seen some good shots this year but yeah that was because i mean those bunkers are not easy to hit to curve the ball that much and especially in altitude with mexico city's extreme altitude the ball doesn't really curve that much so i don't really know how he he really curved it that much with a niner or a pitch wedge. i don't even know what he hit but it was definitely very impressive and it was definitely one of the top shots of the year i think it was ranked i don't know but it was, it was crazy. Totally. Now, when it comes to next year, you were kind of talking about how you wanted to make the President's Cup this year. You want to make the Tour Championship. Those were your goals. What do you look at when you think about setting goals for next year? Do you write them down, or can you share some of your goals for 2020? Yeah, well, this is this is the time where I'm going to kind of write all my goals down. I haven't, obviously, haven't uh, done that. See, I just got done on Sunday. Right now, I got two or three days to kind of just relax don't like touch the clubs or think about golf too much but yeah definitely this this week or this coming week i'm gonna get back to the drum board my team and just see what what i need to get better look at my stats what i what can i do better why i have to keep doing the same or why do i have to change but yeah like i said obviously we want to get better i want to obviously make to the tour championship again i would definitely need to get a not need to, but I want to get a uh, W on the PGA Tour, which I've been I've been close. I haven't been able to to seal the deal, but those those are definitely two of my two of my top uh, goals. I mean, I can get very specific once I kind of look into it, but as of right now, yeah, I mean, getting back to the um, to the True Championship and getting a W is definitely two of my biggest goals. No doubt. Now, before I let you go, I've got a, a couple fun questions I want to ask you. Is your nickname the answer? Nah, I mean, there's some guys that, yeah, I mean, I, I hear all the time when I'm walking down the fairways and stuff or when I hear, you know, they always play with my last name. So I guess it could be one of my nicknames I have. I have plenty, especially in Spanish. Yeah, okay, cool. You are sponsored by a tequila company. I got to know how the guy from Mexico chooses between tequila sponsorships. I'm actually a co-founder of that tequila company. Oh, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. So one of my good friends and sponsor, uh, Aaron Marquez, we, he's also from Mexico and then moved to the United States and, uh, to kind of pursue his dreams and he's been very successful and 
in his career uh, in the oil and gas business. And I met him uh, not too long ago, actually, and we hit it off well. He's a great guy. He's young. He's really passionate about golf, and we both uh, like tequila a lot. And both being Mexican, I thought it was like be the coolest thing to – I always want to have my name tied to something, and I thought tequila was the, the perfect uh, way to do it. And he, he shares that passion uh, with me, and we just said, you know what, let's go all out and just do our best to, to bring the best tequila we can we can make to the United States and obviously uh, in Mexico. So we'll be launching it late November. Um, and, yeah, we're extremely excited about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's been a great little journey, and but like I said, we're really very, very into this uh, into this project. Yeah, you need to send some samples when you guys launch to to New York. Oh, 100 percent, sure. 100%. Yeah. Uh, all right, you you autographed someone's head this year, someone's noggin on top of their head. <laughs> what was the story there? Yeah, he was actually a, pretty, a really good friend of mine. Is he was a, at the Valero here in San Antonio, and uh, I don't know. He just told me, "Late, hey, just sign my noggin." I was like, "What?" And I was like, all right, well, I'm going for it. And I thought the I thought the sharpie wasn't gonna wasn't gonna work on his head because he was kind of it was kind of hot out and sweaty, you know. And actually, it came out it came out not too bad. Yeah, I love it. That has to be the weirdest thing you've ever signed, right? Yeah, it's, def- it's definitely up there for sure. All right, and uh, before you go, on your PGA Tour page, it says if you weren't a pro golfer, you would be a race car driver. I'm curious, is it NASCAR? Is it Formula One? Who's your favorite driver? How did you get hooked on, on racing? Yeah, you know what? I've always been a, just a car guy. I absolutely love love cars and just the adrenaline of, of racing. And I've never raced a, a legit uh, racing car, but like just even shifters and like go-karts and all that, I absolutely love that. If I would not be on the PGA Tour, I would love to be in Formula One. I think just the adrenaline those guys' experience is absolutely amazing. Well, I have to I have to back up my fellow Mexican uh, Checo Perez in uh, yes. on the Formula One. He's a phenomenal driver, and uh, but yeah, like I said, I will I would love to once once I mean learn. It's not like you can just hop on a Formula One car and drive it. You have to obviously be super experienced to do that. But that will be something that I will love to do before I die. All right. Well, that is Abe answer. Abe, where are we going to see you on tour next? I think it's going to be in Napa for the. Um, Safeway open. All right. I'm not mistaken. I love it. All right. Well, good luck out there. Enjoy the tiny off season. We'll see you out there in Napa. Take care. All right, man. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Major thanks to Abe Answer and thanks to you guys for listening. Next week on the podcast, we have Daniel Kang, one of the best personalities in golf. Hard stop. No doubt. So it is Solheim Cup week next week. And we will have our first Solheim Cup team member. This one's going to be a doozy, Sean, and I am super... She gets into some stuff. ...fired up for it. All right. Well, that's it for Dylan and myself today. Thanks for joining the Drop Zone with us. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, we'll catch you here next week.